Welcome to Lessons from Life, the podcast that gleams profound life lessons from everyday life stories. Hosted by Dustin Fenton and Brandon Hill. Hello, Brandon. Good to join you again for another podcast episode, and we're excited to hear from our guest today, Emily Humphreys. Emily, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, Dustin and Brandon. Hello. I am the mom of a two-year-old, and I currently work in public education. I specifically serve our homeless students and families in mm. the district that I work in. And I love podcasts, and I love reading and writing. Wonderful. Today, I'm going to tell the story of leaving higher education to become a bank teller. During a road trip in 2014, my new husband, Scott, and I serendipitously learned during our conversation that he was tired of his two-hour-plus commute to work and that I was burnt out in my job as a resident director. Mm. As we approached Indiana, both of us felt hope and peace at the thought of buying a house and moving to St. Charles, Missouri, where Scott currently taught. We talked about it like we were sharing a government secret because we had lived in our college community on and off for 10 years. We had recently gotten married and our reception was like a higher ed residence life reunion. Scott and I were RAs for three years in college. I was completing my sixth year as an RD. This felt scandalous, but deeply right at the same time. I made the decision to not continue in higher ed and I took a job as a teller at a local bank. I remember leaving campus for the final time in early March and showing up for corporate training at the bank the next week. I quickly realized that I had switched career paths in a very abrupt way. My training did not include themed costume nights or ridiculous skits. I was not attending classes on conflict management. I knew I wasn't showing up to RA training, but in a way, that was all I knew how to do. I immediately got to know all of the other trainees in my class, even though we were all going to different branches. I even tried to make a PowerPoint presentation funny, but it fell flat and my training (laughs) class looked at me like I was really weird. But that was only two weeks at the corporate office. I left training feeling pretty confident this job was not going to cause me stress at all and that it was fairly uncomplicated. I showed up at my branch and was sorely mistaken. I was a master at work culture from my job in res life. I was constantly analyzing my RAs and asking them deep questions to help them grow as individuals. I would do the same in my campus buildings. I felt like I could gather information concerning the pulse of a room in a few seconds. Here's what I gathered after my first few months at the bank. My coworkers were lightning fast. Most of them had been at the job for years and could operate adding machines without looking. They had hundreds of account numbers memorized, knew people's normal deposit and withdrawal routines, knew the right questions to ask based on years of seeing the same people for three minutes at a time. We all had to work like a well-oiled machine and you didn't want to be the slow one, the one who didn't learn it right the first time, the dumb one. It no longer mattered that I studied English and religion with an emphasis in Judaism in college. If I couldn't balance at the end of the day, no one could leave and no one would talk to me tomorrow. Mm. After a few months, I learned a few positions at the bank and developed my own speed to gain the respect of my coworkers. 
Once I knew my job, I realized that being in res life from age 19 to 28 had deeply shaped me, and I couldn't help but become the undercover RD at the bank. I set out to practice one of my deepest held values, that people could be known for who they truly are through thoughtful questions and community building. I sent out branch-wide emails for potluck lunches. I started conversations about something embarrassing I had done to steer the conversations away from people. I watched as certain coworkers develop connection points with me and as we celebrated baby showers and birthdays. I was making friends with people I would have never chosen and who would have never chosen me. I remember that it was my ultimate goal to completely be myself and for other people to feel they could do the same. I left the bank two years later for a job in public education. They threw me a huge potluck lunch and I still think about them every Friday, the day mm. we all work 10 hours together until 6.30 p.m. Mm. I still use my number pad without looking out of principle on my computer. <laughs> That's a great story. Thanks for sharing that with us, Emily. What have you learned in the last two years since leaving? I know that you think about them on Fridays, but what does that leave you with today? What the bank really helped me with was that I had to own my mistakes pretty quickly when it affected the entire team I was working with. I also learned that the quickest way to learn a skill is to watch someone do it and then to be thrown in immediately, which was not something that I had to do in residence life or higher education to almost have to master a skill immediately. And so that has allowed me to become really confident in trying new things. Talk a little bit more about that, trying new things, being confident in that, because it seems like you had really great soft skills, but mm -hmm. those hard skills were really foreign to you to be a, a bank teller and do accounting. At the bank, there's probably 150 different transactions that you could do depending on what someone needed. And I later went on to work in loans and mortgages. And so you had to be prepared for whatever was going to come into your cubicle or into your teller line. But I learned that I could master something really quickly that I had no idea I was going to be doing the day before. So basically, whether that was learning how to take in bonds that needed to be turned into real dollars, or I needed to do a different sort of mortgage based on the person that was sitting in front of me, I learned that I could ask the questions that I needed to and help people, even though I had no formal training. Maybe they had talked about it once in training, but it wasn't like I was really good at it before I was doing it. So now in my current job, I spend a lot of time talking to families and I spend a lot of time looking for resources. And I don't feel Mm -hmm. any problem kind of going into uncharted waters with families, like asking them questions. I really feel confident asking questions to figure out what they need, even though we may not have ever talked on the phone before. Hmm. Talk to me a little bit more about asking questions, because that seems like a foreign concept to me oftentimes, or to even just general society. Not necessarily what kind of questions you ask, but is there a way that you've gotten better, I guess, at asking those questions? So I think in residence life, I developed my skill of asking questions just based on observation. And I would ask questions to help people process their thoughts and to be able to do that without me. I always wanted to work myself out of a job in that situation. So students would learn how to be able to approach situations and talk through 
it themselves or help someone talk through it. And now in my new job and after working at the bank, I feel like I can be bold in asking questions like, what do you need to someone that I've never, Hmm. I've never met before, you know, in residence life, I would have hired these students. They would have chosen to come to college. So there was a specific population, even though it may be diverse to a certain degree, I still had the upper hand in being the person that kind of had the authority to ask those questions. And so now if I see someone at the grocery store or if I, if I'm talking to one of my families at work or even a coworker, I feel completely fine setting the stage and being able to know how someone is really doing, even though that's what I was doing in residence life. It's more like I've given myself the permission that I can always do that. I had pretty much the opposite experience of you. I spent four years doing accounting and then I moved to residence life. Yes. I would say I, I had a similar experience in that I kind of got thrown in head first and people said to me, well, how do you use your accounting degree to do student development work, res life work? And I found that all of the skills I had learned in accounting, I was able to do all the business sides of my job really fast and well, which gave Mm -hmm. me more time to spend with students. And I think there's some truth in there that if we can take what we're learning at each stage of our life and from the different jobs we have and apply them in new places, it just makes us better. It doesn't mean we have to start from scratch every time. Right. I got the chance to solidify who I was outside of higher ed. Hmm. by doing a job that completely was not my skill set. And I mastered it. Like I was promoted twice at the bank. And then it ultimately allowed me to apply. You know, we always viewed it as a bridge job for Mm -hmm. us to move where we wanted to move. And it ultimately qualified me to apply for my accounts payable job that I got in the district. And then I was promoted to my current job in a different department. And so the bank actually afforded me a lot more than I thought it was going to, which could sound cliche, but I just was not expecting it to open more doors for me when I wanted to get back into education. Right. One of the things I've enjoyed about staying in education, and I think for me particular higher education, is that we are forced to keep thinking through deep issues thinking about inclusion and diversity and politics. And I've recognized that not everybody in every setting gets the opportunity to do that. It's not kind of in their face. And I appreciate that it is for me. And I think Mm -hmm. it speaks to the importance of regardless of what field or industry we're in, that we're taking time to look at the world around us and learn from it. Because if we don't, I think we'll often get left behind. change the direction of this a little bit. You know, you said you're working with homeless students and their families. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're right in the midst of this COVID-19 right now. What are you doing to help families that don't have a home in this time frame when we're supposed to be all locked in our homes? So I operate underneath the federal McKinney-Vento law. Mm -hmm. And so that defines homelessness, everything from losing housing and being doubled up with different people, whether that be friends or family, all the way to living in a shelter or youth being unaccompanied and kind of falling anywhere on that spectrum as well. And so really for me, 
it staying in contact with my families. And that's what I do all year long, kind of as they may move around, as they are searching for different types of jobs as they're trying to use their resources that are available for them through the county. And so really right now, it's kind of waiting for the dust to settle. And I'm anticipating possibly getting a lot of new families that I'm going to have to be in contact with. But really, it's about using the resources that are available to them. And thankfully, in my county, we have a lot that is available to them. And so I'm the middleman in that. The last thing that was really powerful to me was that around the time that I was deciding to leave higher ed, I came across the statistic that talked about how men apply for jobs that they're 60% qualified for and women apply for jobs that they feel that they're 100% qualified for. Mm -hmm. And that really stuck with me and worked because I fell into the camp of I only applied for jobs that I felt like I was 100% qualified for. And so I started applying for jobs that I was like, well, I feel about 50% qualified (laughs) for this. And it worked. Like it it's totally worked for me since then as Mm -hmm. well. Like I've applied that and I've since read things that said that it's not necessarily that men feel more qualified for things or that they feel more confident. It's more just understanding the hiring process Mm. and that maybe jobs aren't looking for people that are a hundred percent qualified for all of these things. And so that changed my life. I mean, I Mm. was, Mm. I consider myself a confident person in general, but I was like, now I have even more reason. So I spread that around like (laughs) crazy. I like, everyone needs to know that they just need to apply for all the jobs that they feel like 50% okay for because <laughs> so that's what I would end with. Okay, good. Well, and to some extent it's probably more important that you enjoy the job than necessarily you're qualified for it. Right. Yeah. Well, it's been really good to hear this story of transition and I'm sure over the next few months a lot of people are going to be transitioning to and from jobs and understanding that no matter what job it is that they're in it in the moment that what they learn there will help their life and will help future roles that they're going to have as well. So thanks for spending some time with us. And Dustin, I will see you again next week. Sounds good. Thanks, Brandon. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Thanks for listening to Lessons from Life. We hope that you have learned a lesson today that will help you to be more fulfilled in life's journey. If you were inspired by today's episode, please subscribe and review. You can find Lessons from Life at LessonsFromLifeForYou.com. That is with the number four and the letter U. You can also find links to all of our social media on our website. We would love to hear the valuable lessons that you have learned from your life experiences.